Hello. I've been with you inside my Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers. Here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Work Podcast. There's a bit of windy pops there. (laughs) (laughs) This week we had a conversation with a shoe designer, Olivia Morris. She's on her second business. She now has a range of house shoes um, that are going great guns. She's kind of created the perfect lockdown product when we're all staying at home. She'd been working for a year in advance of the pandemic and it just came at exactly the right time. And she made a very beautiful product, which is very Instagrammable and desirable. And it's kept a lot of people going, her Instagram feed and all the sort of um, imagery and um, stuff around her product. Oh, I'm losing the world to live. To be honest, listeners... (laughs) let's just be honest we've had enormous technical problems let's be real oh it kept clicking out it kept right the file was lost (laughs) reset your set over and over and right now as I record this introduction I had a great conversation with Olivia but now I feel like my brain's been sucked out of my ear you want to go and sit on the sofa and eat olives I definitely I'm going to do that so I'm going to go and eat olives and I'm going to leave you with Olivia Morris. You need to sort out your broadband. Well, no, because if I sort it out, then it means I have to do more of these types of things, whereas if I avoid doing it... <laughs> you can just stay home. I, I can stay at home like a little hermit in my studio. <laughs> have you... um Last... <laughs> On the last podcast, Olivia, I um, led out with possibly the worst question you could start a podcast with. Didn't I, Buckers? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, hi, welcome. Have um, have you listened to the podcast? Have you been listening to the podcast? And our guest said no. <laughs> so, so I did actually listen to part, part one. one. No, last week when them. I was... Ill. No, season I one. listened to um, oh god no. Part one of Seema. Y- yes, part one of Seema. Um, and then I started to listen to part two, but I never got around to finishing it because I was genuinely in bed. I, um, you were genuinely intimidated. I was genuinely in bed, and I was slightly no. It sounded like you were quite intimidated or about to be quite intimidated. So I was. Um, By Seema. Yeah, <laughs> so I was quite riveted to listen to the second part. <laughs> Mid Seema Smackdown. <laughs> Seema just, she just helped me um, come to terms on um, broadcast <laughs> about my own racism. She just was like, uh, okay, just that last bit. That's not true. That's racist. Okay. Just... <laughs> and um, she was completely right. And I, it was something that I'd kind of, it was my research because I was nervous about the conversation because it's so not yeah. my area. 
And so I'd yeah. done loads of research. And that was my kind of safe fallback thing. I was like, I think you'll find that so-and-so said this in 1997. And yeah, crushed. It was quite, I mean, if you're going to be crushed by anyone, she's, she's the, the right person, person to be crushed by. I think so. I think so. It was a great conversation. But it was um, quite deep. We're not always that deep, so I shouldn't worry about that. I think um, we have um, gear change today because we're going to... Um, you're going to be is it going to be nice and gentle and we're going gentle. to talk about fashion the fashion about for, for, fashion, for fashion. Yes. Frivolous and all things for, for, for frivolous <laughs> exactamundo so footwear that's good from yes systemic racism and oppression to footwear because um you know that's how we roll we just change gears at the drop of a hat i've also got a quiz for you later on which you should probably feel a bit nervous about Oh, God, thank you very much. Really looking forward to that now. <laughs> Have you done any podcasts before, Olivia? No, I haven't done any podcasts before, and I've done one uh, Zoom presentation with you. So, um, yeah, you I only do it for you, Flo. Oh, I only do it nice. for you. I'm, um, I'm really kind of quite happy behind, you know, behind the scenes as a, as a person or as a business person. I find the whole putting myself out there quite... Um, quite unattractive you know I just I like doing my work and being creative and and run you know I mean inevitably I'm running a business again now but um yeah I don't rush I don't rush to do these things but obviously I do them for people that I love oh. and people who've been very support you know you've been supportive so I owe you <clears throat> you don't but I'll take it okay <laughs> take it while you can because it might not happen again <laughs> When um, Buckers, I'll tell you how I know Olivia. We um, we shared a flat in Camden for a short period of time in the early nineties. Um, I believe it was above a pie and mash shop under a railway bridge, and there was what do I remember? Remember of that time, pigeon droppings, um, yeah, the fat fryer coming off the back. No, I remember that the boiler didn't work and wasn't replaced for a whole and winter. Do, you, like, do um, you remember when I when I was there on my own and everyone was out and I opened the French doors and uh, there was a strange set of French doors on a balcony. Well, there wasn't even a balcony. It was just a sheer drop. And I opened the French doors <laughs> and the hinges were rotten and I ended up holding a French double-glazed timber hardwood French door dangling out of the window so that it didn't drop into the office's um, glass roof below me. Um, and then when everyone came home, they tried to lift the door I managed to somehow get it inside and no one could actually physically lift it so I think my adrenaline had kicked in there were, was you know they were interesting time there were such fun times it was times. Um, like a bit like with Nell and I round at that place yeah. and I I was thinking the other day I mean sort of you know connected to that is how you know all of this sort of generation at the moment are missing out on those on those times, like the last year of the pandemic and, you know, my sister in Ireland has started university and she's doing it on a computer in her bedroom and she should be out yeah. living, living the normal people life. So the other big, cha the other big change from then is as, as, um, I, um, refer to those times as the jacket potato years because all I mean I didn't know anything about how to look after myself and just ate jacket potatoes in those like polystyrene foam things that you get from the calf and um, my physique reflected my diet I was jacket potato 
on the inside and on the outside. <laughs> and um, was just, yeah, just stoned, stoned, stoned on spuds. Or, um, yeah, all the time. But um, the great part was that we were able to explore ourselves and get to know who we were and grow into ourselves without camera phones. That's yeah, the other difference, so, isn't it, for yeah. young people now? I think I would have honestly, and I, this is not a joke, I think I would have died of shame. You know, you, last time we chatted, you talked about Olivia was the only person in our group who had a car. And she'd uh, we'd go off to some party, and then when we were basically unconscious, she would be like the, the cleanup operation to come and get us back home before we were killed. And um, if we'd have photographs of that, I just think I would have died of shame. Honestly, it just or I just couldn't. The level of scrutiny that young people and creatives, you know, because there was it was a creative energy, it was a creative house. Um, the level of scrutiny that young creative people's finding their niche have to face now is just off the charts, yeah. daunting. I think um, I think I would have come out quite unscathed, actually. You possibly, on the other hand, maybe maybe not. <laughs> but isn't it? But isn't it? Yeah, photographic oh, evidence. Worst. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting that if you kind of look back, um, just in general, how you know people that possibly look like they may go you know nowhere in life because they were kind of off the rails to then you know re reconnect all those years later and people have found their way whether it's taken a year or you know 15 years is that you know those times those times are so important to have whether you're you know partying hard or being quite sensible and actually you know it's the ground it's the grounding for the future um so when when you say Buckers, do you know what? I mean, should I paraphrase what Olivia just said? She just said, it's amazing. <laughs> People who are like utter car crashes when we're teenagers. It's extraordinary <laughs> that they managed to drag themselves up and actually, <laughs> and actually do something. And I I mean, you're yeah. quite right. I, I can't. Mean, you, I mean, you, you know, if we're coming at Flurry. But it's, you know, it's, it's America, very I'm still here, isn't it? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Well, I was are. chuckling as you were saying, as you were saying about photographic evidence, because the other day I came across a photo of um, little buckers, Aww. aged probably fifteen or sixteen, being somehow invited to a pool party at one a posh private schoolboy's house, who I knew through a friend of a friend of a friend had a pool, and because I was body con conscious, I'd worn um, a bikini top and board shorts, like surfing shorts that I'd gone to a surfing shop in Oxford to buy, Aww. and they were fifty pounds. And I wore covered. them yeah. with yeah to keep covered, and I wore them with a studded belt. Nice. And there's a photo of me standing next to my friend who'd bought with her a snorkeling mask. <laughs> Do you know what, I though? Know. I, I, I embrace party. that, Buckers. I know what it's like to be that person. You could, could you, did you enjoy the pool party? No. No, it's Probably no. not. No. And the fact that you, but look the fact that now. you planned it and had to go and get the shorts, like I completely identify with that. Like that level Me of self consciousness too. at that age. Me yeah, too. there's just no way I could have had my bet, my bottom. Like there, to me, there was no difference between knickers and bikini bottoms. They were just knickers. 
I... made of a different fabric. There's no way I could have done that. I feel your pain as well. Last week, I was looking for some photographs of me sort of in florals to go on the website instead of a, you know, formal portrait. And I came across one actually with the same group of kind of Camden University gang. And I was sat on the beach in the Greek islands interrailing and I, everyone's in, you know, topless and in tiny bikinis, sort of 80s bikinis. And I'm sat there in a dress on the beach, on a beach towel, because, of, you know, it's the same. Yeah. I would have been horrified to get my, you know, yeah. to get my body out. Hopefully there's, you know, there's a bit more positivity around all of that as well for this, you know, the next generation. I hope so. <laughs> we led out by sort of saying, oh, we're just going to talk about fluff today, shoes. But actually, shoes are your passion and are the thread that have gone through your life. They join Olivia, as you describe her then, to Olivia now. You were studying a really serious so you were studying how to make shoes. I was. I started, I started, I knew I was creative even at school. And I think probably that equaled the fact that I knew I wasn't incredibly academic. I mean, I'm, I'm bright and I have common sense, but let's just say the GCSE and A-level results were good in, good in art and history of art and not so good in anything else. Um so I went to do a foundation course because I, you know, I knew it was my option and I knew it would help me to figure out a way forward. And it was really in that year, even in the first term, I think we specially tried a bit of theatre design and a bit of, you know, ceramics and sculpture. And I knew as soon as I did the fashion module that I loved it, but I also knew that I wasn't very good at designing clothes and garments. And I, you know, I mean, who knows, maybe it has a, you know, there's a kind of psychological link to the fact that I grew up with very big feet. I was a size nine foot, even when I started school and used to get teased terribly. Um, and I had this amazing, extremely camp tutor in the fashion module. And he said, why don't you just go home and try drawing a shoe tonight instead of, you know, a not very good garment. Um, and I did. And it was really a very overnight moment. I didn't even think that you could you know do something like that in life I wasn't even aware of it um so that led to I guess the beginning of a you know a genuine passion for a, a, I guess a creative it's a creative job but it's putting that creative energy into something that you know I guess ultimately I can you know run a business or get a job because I have that skill um so I was never going to be you know a, a wonderful painter or a sculptor or a ceramicist I think there was a very you know I grew up with a very sort of practical sensibility um with both parents working as I was you know when I was a child so I think somehow shoe design even though very specialized um, became a good sort of potential business option as well. Um, so, yeah, I went on to Cordwainers and did a three-year uh, degree there. I think at the time there were 11 of us on the course, and I think now it's a you know hugely popular choice. Um, and you know, I think that's probably where I where I met you back in the in the day. Was in my you had a shoe collection. I did. You know, I still have it. I just don't you know, really wear those Vivian Westwood platforms anymore. <laughs> but I did used to go out in them every Saturday night and they were a size too small because I used to go to sample sales and buy a size, you know, size seven, whatever they were, seven or eight, and squeeze my feet into them. So I obviously, um, you know, in, in enjoyed putting myself 
through um, pain in order to be able to wear things I I loved. Um, but oh, oh, how times have changed! Because right now, the idea of putting on a you know anything with a heel is is uh, not such an attractive option, which is maybe maybe why I've ended up doing slippers or house shoes or you know flat orthopedically comfortable but stylish <laughs> we we've actually this is the second time we've talked about shoes on this podcast isn't it ruckus we talked about it on um on clemmy's one which <laughs> oh yes we did a very different type of shoe oh really what type of shoe was that <laughs> don't say it don't i don't know whether it's safe to say it in front of olivia i feel like she might just combust <laughs> and just end up a pile of florals on the floor. <laughs> is it a particular is it a particular brand? Crocs. Oh, we can't talk about Crocs. We can't. <laughs> we literally can't we can't talk about Crocs. Although ironically they're having a, a bit of a fashion moment because um, the way the foot splays inside the cavernous uh, interior yes. because everyone's lost their mind. Everyone's <laughs> lost and well no, I mean a couple of kind of really great designers I think have done collaborations with them and they've sort of having their moment again. But I couldn't um <laughs> I couldn't. I used to have to go to Ireland to stay with my dad and my half brother and sister, who are quite a lot younger than me. And I turned up once, and there was a basket of crocs. It's the west coast of Ireland. It's pretty rural. We go for walks. We walk on the beach. It's muddy, wet, and there was a whole row of crocs as you came in the door. And um, obviously, I didn't say anything because I would have seemed very, very strange. But I had. I remember texting someone and saying who I'd had a weird conversation with the week before going and saying there's a there is a row of crocs here and I I can't I have to leave the room. <laughs> so I yeah I'm I mean I'm personally not a fan but obviously from a you know from a business model point of view they obviously have a very successful business and uh you know congratulations you don't to them on that but <laughs> You know, Olivia, we've got no listeners, so you can just trash them. It's fine. It's not like they're not going to find out. <laughs> Edit. But you don't, this is all unedited, so I have to be careful. But no, I do. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a hugely successful brand, but it's definitely not my, not my cup of tea. So not at the beginning of, of this segment, you um, talked about how your art tutor said meaningfully all those years ago, Olivia... Tonight, go home, draw a shoe. Draw a shoe, Olivia. And that was the beginning of your incredible career. Well, that's called an origin story in brand terms, what you told us. And I thought, wow, that's a great origin story. But only because it's Olivia. I just tried to draw a shoe. And it worked. <laughs> oh, Fleur. <laughs> there is something a little cro cro something a little crocky. That's a bit of a clock, isn't it? That Marnie kind of thing that they do, like the two tone. Not really. Um, no. uh, yes, I'm, I'm struggling to put a Marnie, a Marnie label. It looks like in a Chibata. Looks like a Chibata <laughs> roll. It slightly reminds me of there's a shop. I have a panini I once ate. There's a shopping. <laughs> There's a shop in Bex Hill just down the road from where I live in St. Leonard's on Sea, and it is a a shop for uh, I suppose a more elderly client, and they sell um, these quite padded sort of slipper walking shoes. It's, it has slight connotations of that actually. They sound comfortable. 
Big market. Big it's, market Fleur. It's um <laughs> it's the Fleur Emery Crocs budgie like collab. It's got a slight Mary Jane feel to it as well, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. So um yeah. I, I'm definitely not in the wrong career. Shall we stick yeah. to the day job? Yeah. <laughs> Give us some... Um, if anyone has arrived in this podcast and thinking, who are these people? What am I doing? What am I doing here? What am I even doing? Why am I listening to this? Where am I going to get the time back? Let's impress them with your glittering first business before we talk about your second business, which is going the same way. Tell us the headlines because you you were kind of a... You were an it girl kind of thing. You were kind of hot patooties for a while well I think honestly there were probably only five people in my industry you know at at that time so when I graduated there was you know a very tiny handful of sort of famous designers in this country one of them was Patrick Cox Um, and I had started on working on the shop floor at Whistles in Richmond as my Saturday job and then I went up to Catherine Hamnett on um, Sloan Street and then I moved around the corner and got a Saturday job at um, the Patrick Cox shop which was at a time when he became this kind of huge early celebrity. 90s with the wannabe his Christmas parties were you know the best you never quite knew who was going to be in his flat at the same time it was a really fun it was a really fun time but it was also my way of you know, gaining a bit of work experience from working on the shop floor. And then obviously, um, you know, met him and would go in the holidays and work up at head office. Um, so I put, you know, I put the groundwork in while I was studying. Um, and then when I graduated, I think I met a designer at the fashion designer at the time or ready to wear designer um, who wanted some shoes for a, a show at London Fashion Week. And it sort of spiraled from there. I I was making my shoes at a tiny factory in East London when it still existed. Of course, it's, you know, most of that has, I think all of it's gone now, most of it in the UK at a certain um, kind of handmade level. Um, But yes, I started doing shows and then I came up with this concept for a kind of nude, a nude leather shoe and boots with tattoos on it. So it almost looked like, you know, you were sort of skin was naked um and that got me new gen sponsorship to go and do london fashion week and you know within the space of a week of exhibiting there obviously it was all sponsored um you know i had orders from matches and i'm trying to think who else ordered um urban outfitters i think at the time did them um but you know it kind of spiraled from there i didn't have production sorted i'd made these samples and i was actually really unprepared and i think um you know it 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 grew organically but i also had no clue how you know how business ran i knew that i was you know i knew i wanted to kind of have a good time designing fun shoes but i really um the, the kind of concept of of you know cash the practical concept um, or the practical knowledge required didn't really exist at that time. Um, but I winged it. I mean, basically, I I got a studio in Portobello in the end, and then it turned into a little studio stroke shop. Um, and then, you know, I started selling direct to a few clients, and I was doing a bit more wholesale. We sold to Net-A-Porte and, um, you know, a few, some really amazing stores around the world. Um, and... I had a you know a nice little team sales director and a wholesale manager production manager and a beautiful factory in Italy 
Um, and it, it, it grew, but, you know, I wasn't thinking back on it now as I'm, you know, still in year one of this new business to, to think that I sort of winged it for that long. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing. Um, I just, I just went with it, but you know, ultimately what happens is, you know, on the surface, it looked amazing. We had incredible press. We were on the, you know, cover of American Vogue with the, I remember I did a tattooed bag and, um, you know, we got, I got amazing press coverage, um, and we had great wholesale, but it was back at a time when, uh, you know, we didn't have direct to consumer websites. I mean, the internet barely existed. Um, yeah, this is what young it, people don't understand. Like, Barclays is looking like, huh? What do you mean it didn't exist? What, it didn't exist at your house? What, you didn't have broadband? No, I mean, this is, it and didn't this exist. is only, you know, this is only in the, in, I don't know, what was it, 1999, the year 2000. You know, I think I had a website which had a holding page with a map of where you could buy my product. And when I sold to Netaporte, they were the first online, you know, high end retailer. Um, so, you know, things, things have like really changed, really changed. And sometimes I find that sort of new, this new way of working quite daunting because it does make me feel a bit old, even though I'm not. Um, but it's a very, you know, running a business now, it's a very different business model now. Um, and where most of my sales would have come from whole, you know, wholesale clients, whether it's Net-a-Porter or Matches or whoever, um, you know, my margins were my margins were pathetic. I kind of felt like I was needed to do everyone a favor that I needed my product to be out there, and therefore I couldn't. You know, I didn't want to make it too expensive, or, or and then they would put you know a huge markup on it and sell it on to the to the end consumer. So I, you know, the business worked for ten years, and I think I you know paid everyone. But I wasn't really paying myself because I did a lot of consultancy work on the side, and that was really my my income. Um, whereas now I know, you know, moving forward into a new business, I know what I need out of it in basic terms to begin, you know, for the first couple of years. Um, and yeah, so it's a, it's very different doing it now, which is exciting because I feel like the lessons have been learned. Um, it, that all feeds into where you are now, though. I mean, it's a similar sort of story for me with my first business, Grasshopper, the fact that, you know, the food industry, there's no help or support. I, I literally was getting leaflets from the local library. You know, I mean, I had literally no idea whatsoever. I am um, going to draw a great parallel because between my first business, Grasshopper Porridge, and uh, Olivia's. I wasn't on the cover of American Vogue, but I was in... <laughs> Weight, Weight Watchers Monthly, and I was in um, the Waitrose magazine. Big gig. <laughs> that's so um, surely. The I mean, Dizzy surely that's in food. the yeah, the Dizzy, Dizzy Heights. That's the equivalent. Yeah. I mean, Waitrose magazine. I'm sure that their demographic is what you want to be hitting if you're in the food industry. I always, whenever I watch, I don't know. We wouldn't have known that, of course. I wouldn't have known what demographic was. And that was the beauty of those times. It was like, it was quite an innocent time, even though there was bad things yeah. going on. You know, there was a lot of people with lots of money who were being a pain in the neck and not, there was no sort of support, which was bad. Um, but it was quite an innocent time. We used to guess, get customers phoning up, just saying, hi, it's Waitrose, or hi, it's British Airways. We'd like to buy your product. And you go, okay, 
that was a great day. Whereas, you know, there's nothing like that happens there. And equally press, you know, that they say, oh, hi, it's the Financial Times. We'd like to interview you. You go, yeah, brilliant. And now, you know, young businesses are spending like three grand a month baseline on PR with an agency just to try and get some traction. It's so noisy now for them. It's it's real kind of ups and downs. They they have this incredible tool of where they can of how they can reach people for free through the internet. But at the same time, the competition. So interesting that you said, well, actually, Flair, there was like five other shoe brands available at the time. And yeah, Pat the Patrick Cox thing. Because Patrick Cox made this shoe which kind of was um it was called a wannabe and it kind of was a round toed sort of almost unisex shoe with a blocky heel and a sort of a ridge a, a seam ridge on the front um i i didn't have one i didn't have any but um they were massive like on the all the kids going clubbing they were absolutely massive and and again now it's hard to get the idea that a product could be that ubiquitous because there's so much mm. choice now, mm. like the TV, like all people of my and Olivia's generation all remember the same TV programs and the same, the theme tunes, because we were all watching the same TV because there was just like three channels, four channels, and there was nothing else. <laughs> we just watched the same things over and over. But, but that's so interesting in itself because actually, you know, launching a new business now, whether it's me or anyone else, is how do you... I can't hear Olivia now. Can you hear me, Buckers? I can hear you. <laughs> we'll just let her get to the end of this bit. We can't hear this you, Olivia. It's really interesting. We can't hear you. We can't hear you. Can you wiggle your cable? Wiggle your hips, do 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 do. It looked like she was making an incredibly insightful. She point. was in the zone. Yeah, and we missed it. Of course we did. Hello. <laughs> I've been around with you inside my mind. <laughs> Hello, friends. It's your old pal. Producer Buck is here coming to you in post-production. So at this point in the recording, Fleur and I did a full rendition of Lionel Richie's Hello because Olivia had to leave the session and rejoin, at which point, with such charming optimism, Fleur said this. So luckily, the backup thing that Buck has made will have caught that insightful monologue that you just delivered. So we don't have to do that dreaded thing of saying, oh, can you say that again? But then something really hilarious happened because at the end of the recording, we managed to lose the backup audio. We will never know what insightful nuggets of wisdom Olivia was saying during the time her audio cut out. I also wish I could say that was the last time it happened, but it really wasn't. But still, we press on. This happened the last time we spoke. Because obviously, uh, it likes just cutting me off when I'm having a mm. having a shoe when ramble. You're in flow. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, no. My what I was saying was that you know it's back then when we were all setting up businesses and and doing it probably well you said innocently I was thinking probably naively yeah. that we, we didn't you didn't even question what you were doing whereas I guess when you do it as a sort of I don't want to say a latter stage in life because it sounds incredibly middle-aged but you know we've for me it's like I've, I've run a business I've also worked in an industry for 10 years and I know that you know if I'm going to 
try to run a business where it gives me all the other things I want, which is to be, you know, at home when my kids come home from school or, you know, enough enough earnings that I can have a couple of nice holidays a week and, you know, renovate the bathroom, that whatever I choose or whatever one chooses to launch, it has to have a, it has to have a viewpoint now um, because otherwise you just get lost, completely lost in the sort of sea of, you know, in my case, product. Um, and in my case, footwear product, you know, there's thousands and thousands of options out there. And why is a customer going to come? What's a customer going to come to me for? And, you know, what can I offer that feels a bit different and a bit new? But the good news about um, having all of that time under your belt, when, when, when you said earlier, you said, well, you know, in that... In, in my first business, I paid everyone. I didn't really pay myself. I really identify with that feeling of like saying, what just happened? Everyone says that was a great success. Was it? I'm not really sure. But actually, all of that experience feeds in. All of that reputation, all of, all of that knowledge feeds in to this project that you've just launched and yeah. it's doing it's doing yeah. beautifully but that's because your decision making has been sound and that's because of all the balls that you dropped over over the years it's it's the, the, yeah. the full momentum from that it's the natural progression yeah so i guess it's the that was all preparation yes. in some way um which is you know a really positive thing it exactly. doesn't have to be it, yeah, it's definitely not a negative. It's definitely line. It's lined me up, my brain and my creativity to do it differently this time. And that's, um, you know, that's. I mean, I think there's two reasons why it's. I've had a good, you know, a really good first year. Is that I, I know what I'm doing. I'm incredibly experienced in my field. I have the right, you know, contacts to tap for manufacturing. Um, and for, you know, what was interesting is that all of the people that I would deal with, you know, 15, 20 years ago, who were all the fashion assistants, you know, people are still working in their re their respective industries and everyone is now at a different level of their industry. So, so they've grown up with you. you know, it was really nice. Yeah, they've kind of, we've, and, and they, re you know, people remember, um, people remember. So I think there was definitely, you know, an advantage to that. And for me, obviously, the, the kind of biggest sort of silver lining to the cloud of a pandemic was that everyone was, you know, stuck at home willingly, you know, willingly or unwillingly. Um, and the product that I had been preparing to launch was, was based on being at home. Um, so I had a, you know, an initial stroke of luck growth that was, yeah. Good timing. Which... We can't hear you again, Olivia. What was it? Did you touch something? Is your husband is your husband gone online downstairs? Is he playing Foxy Bingo on four different screens? <laughs> Can you hear us? Yeah. Um I mean I know we like to talk more than the guest, but I think having the guest not be able to talk at all is beyond the pain yeah, even for yeah. us. It's actually quite key. <laughs> Try going out and coming back in, Olivia. Sorry. Post-production producer Buck is here again. As much as we appreciated Olivia's patience with the immense technical difficulties today, we very much appreciate yours. At this point in the recording, Fleur and I made multiple comments about Olivia's poor internet connection. And listen out carefully for this next bit. See if you can detect the subtle signs that Fleur is now beginning to lose the will to live. 
We'll get on to slippers now anyway, and then we'll do our game and we'll wrap it up. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I my um just FYI, I could, I could it's gone hear, on I now. Have, it's gone green now. I hadn't um I hadn't closed down the other window, so I could hear you. Uh, I could hear you slagging off my technical abilities and my Wi-Fi strength. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> and I was shouting even though you couldn't hear me. Going, it's not my internet yeah. sense is really strong. It does um, look now. It's got three three dots now. Three dots oh, now. There you go. Let's see what there it says. Sorry, it Olivia, says. to disparage you. Still says very bad. Yeah. <laughs> very bad. Um, very bad. Naughty, naughty girl. You are very bad. That's been told off for ages. Um, which is one advantage of running your own business is that you don't have to get told it's off. It's the main by, one. Yeah, by lots of you know CEOs and people who have uh, you know different different decisions to make to you. That, that's um, a big difference. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell our listeners about the difference between your biz your first business your second. So first, your first business was footwear. You had a shop premises, even though it was part studio and part store. But you yeah. know you had the rent ticking on that. And mm-hmm. you had various kind of stakeholders and you were selling wholesale into customers, um, sh- online shops and in real life shops who would then sell your shoes for a lot of money and you would get a little bit of money. So yeah. you got sick of that. And this time you're making slippers or house shoes as we rebranded them. Yeah. And you are selling direct to customer. So when I uh, was planning the business, it was it was to be you know direct to consumer which, because it was you know what everyone was talking about and everyone was telling me to do. But actually, what's been really interesting over the last nine months is that I'm working with a brilliant agent who has a you know beautiful showroom, and I am doing a little bit of wholesale. So it's very select, and it's very much on gut instinct as to whether it's right or wrong. But what I have realised from a business point of view is that you know I don't have a huge digital marketing budget at the moment I have to get my brand out there um, and by working with certain stores so for example my first stoppist was Brown's um, fashion in London and then from July August this year we're going into Harrods and Selfridges but it's very very targeted and we're keeping it really tight and what I've realized is I've also got three Stockists in the US, Shopbop, which is quite a big online retailer, and then two, you know, high, more high-end independent boutiques, is that the customer is also now able to find me through through those stores. So they they see it there, and there are obviously clients who will buy direct from that store. But there are also there's definitely a customer out there who then comes to search you out, which has been really, you know, a really positive aspect to to doing a bit of wholesale, um, and ultimately. You know, I I need to I want to help the factory to have more production. You know, we've got this. It's been an incredibly difficult year for the manufacturing industry. Um, so you know, I want to grow. I want to grow the wholesale so that I have a nice handful of accounts, um, which you know ultimately help me with my cash flow a bit as well. But they, it also gives the factory more production, um, and I think it you know it's a it's a marketing opportunity as well for a new brand. Um, because I think being a direct to consumer own you have to really be patient unless you've got a big budget and investment to get your brand out there and tell people about it. I'm I mean, I'm maybe someone else has has uh, has sort of discovered a way to do it without that. Um, but in the meantime, I think, you know, wholesale is maybe going to make up, 
you know, overall, I don't know, 20 to 30% of my business and hopefully the rest would be direct to consumer. So let me just, um, let me just jump in. So Buckers, what, what's really interesting about that and um, business founders who are listening, what's really interesting that Olivia's explaining is that if she just sold direct to customer, she gets more per shoe in her pocket, right? Mm. And if it goes mm. through a company like Harrods, she won't make much in the middle, like a few quid, but the factory gets paid the same for making the shoes. So it's worth the effort for her because then the factory that's had a really bad time in lockdown is selling way more shoes, even though she's not making much in the middle, it's really good for them. And so that strengthens Mm. her relationship with the factory. It makes a stronger, healthier factory. So when she wants to make new stars and things like that, they're up and running and they're doing okay and they're not struggling. Yeah. So this is a, this is, this, that, the reason I'm interested in that, Olivia, is because in real work, we talk a lot about a new way of thinking with business, which actually could be personified as a kind of a more um, women-orientated way of doing business. And I, I haven't heard, I don't hear men so much talking about things like that, you know, a holistic approach, you know, they'll just talk about financial, it's not worth my while because of this, but actually, you know, you do well if your factory does well, it's really true. And so the effort, what you get back isn't just money necessarily in business. Yeah, no, I, I hope so. But I think, yeah, I think as women without sort of gender typifying it is that we do like to take care of people and I'm not saying you know men don't I don't want to get into that kind of conversation but you know it was interesting a couple of weeks ago I said to my brother oh I've got these potential wholesale accounts and I don't know what to do and I'm you know feeling like I'll be you know is it sort of selling my soul too early or is it really good to give the factory some extra production and actually his immediate reaction was well the factory aren't your problem you know, the factory aren't your family. You need to make the decision based on, you know, what it gives you. And, and yeah, and what I'd argue back to him is actually it's an insurance policy and it's good because it feels good and it's the right thing to do. But it also um, boosts the chance of the factory surviving. And you're right, it's not like about men and women, but what it is about is it's about um, a... Um, as a model of capitalism that yeah. has has existed that is yeah. now changing that does happen to be changing at the same time as more women move in to positions as founders mm-hmm. and senior board members and are steering and 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 adopt a different way of doing things and I yeah. love it like I'm so here for that real work is about that because you know I suffered under the first system and I thrive in the second system and I'm I'm all for it. It's just a great way of thinking. I think, um, you know, most importantly is that if you're able to do that as part of your business model, then it's brilliant. And obviously, you know, ultimately the end decision is made based on on a business and, you know, it's finances. So if I'm able to do that when I can, then I will do it. But equally, if if it doesn't make business sense, then it's something that I will take the decision not to do. Um, you know what I don't need to I need to be my own I am my own chat you know I've done this before and I need to be a little bit more selfish about it this time around you know I think previously in the old business I was you know more worried about everyone else than I was about myself and this time I think I'm going in and I, I, I want to get out of it what I need to get out of it and if I can off the back of that 
uh, you know, be generous in spirit to the people I work with. And that's, you know, it's crucial. Um, but also, you know, sort of working with the factory and, you know, I hope one day there will be more than one factory or our production will obviously grow is that it also gives me the more I give them it gives me then the opportunity to kind of negotiate better products, negotiate better prices. That's what I mean. So, you know, I'm launching a new, um, like a sort of knotted slider, um, which is quite different to the kind of house slipper. And I think it will appeal to a slightly different audience. But, you know, last week when I got the prices in, I was able to actually have that first conversation about, you know, how can we, how can we make this work? Uh, You know, even one euro or two euros, less and it then means I can wholesale and take more orders um so you know we we worked it out and ultimately the factory came to their decision which was that it was a good idea to try and bring the price down a little bit because they know that ultimately they will get more production from it so they know that because you've demonstrated that the first time so the the cost the the financial hit that you took from I'm doing that wholesale and the extra admin associated with it has bought you the improved relationship, which has supported that discount. Yes. So it's, it's, it is business-like. It's not, it's not being a soft head. It's the opposite. I think, I think it, it makes better business financially. Yeah. I hope, I hope so. I think, you know, for me, it's just going on gut instinct again, um and where my gut instinct was innocent and naive first time round so i i I know what i know i ultimately come to the right decision or what i think are the right decisions um and if i don't i generally have a sleepless night and i know in my gut that i need to say no to something or i need to you know say yes to something um you know i don't know about you but i just i find i can literally sit thinking about something for a day or two and if it doesn't sit right i now need to be better at saying no to things um which is something you know it generally i'm not great at doing because i like everyone to be you know happy we can't hear you again. If you can bear to go out and come back in again, we'll just do like a five minute wrap up. Oh, poor Olivia, it's hard work for her. Oh. Am I here? Hi- yes. Will you, we're, um, will you cut- we're coming to the last bit. Okay. Do you edit, do you cut all the silly bits out or I get cut off? Well, Buckus can work some magic. Do my best. She'll make some kind of <laughs> horse clippity cloppy noise or something. Some some snazzy podcast um, music. I've got yeah. two more questions. I've got Go two on. more questions. So another difference between then Olivia version one and version two is that you're now happily married and you have a creative partner, husband. I, I do, which has been incredibly helpful um because right now you know with without invest you know i'm self i'm self-funded i sold a beach hut last year to you know to to put some money into this business and i also took out the um a government you know government backed loan but not not the not the pandemic uh, related one the startup loan um so you know i'm i'm very invested in this myself but also i'm very aware that i don't want to you know overspend where i don't have the cash at the moment so my husband specializes in branding and graphic design and has been doing it for 
you know, longer than I've been doing shoes. So at the moment, you know, he works from home. I work from home. We've both been stuck at home for the last year together. And, um, yeah, I've tapped him for his creative his creative skills, you know, he helped me build the website. He Great. helps me to, um, you know, he did my branding um, and I drive him absolutely insane. Um, I feel very out of control when I'm not in control of something. I like to know how to do things and I really don't um, don't know how to do digital things. I, I'm very much on a learning curve with that. Um, so, you know, the kind of back end of it, he can, he can help. He's so supportive and patient, but I, I know I drive him completely mad. Even, you know, when I'm trying to design mailers and, you know, he designs one for me and comes up with this, you know, beautiful concept to send out to my, um, to my database. I'm always niggling. I always want to, I always want it done my way. He is. He's a very patient man. (laughs) <laughs> he ha- oh, well he has but yeah uh, he, I don't, he's in Greece somewhere um, so yeah he's, I think that's he's on very... the green light list isn't it when I to visit Greece was it on the list <laughs> what happened to the Italian <laughs> we don't talk about okay, that on the anyway. podcast <laughs> um, no so <laughs> You know the drill by now. Once again, Olivia had to bump out of the session and rejoin. Thank you for sticking with us. We're going to end on f- fam- famous people. Famous people. Apart from the fact that you're... Oh, God. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to dig too deep. The, um... <laughs> um... <laughs> the tattoo boots are famous because they're in the V&A. Did you know that, Marcus? No, I did. Yes. Fashion collection. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, all the way since your first project, lots of famous people have worn and kind of shown off your shoes. And that is part of the reason that, um, you know, they became like hot things, as well as the fact that now on Instagram and uh, through your marketing, you have an incredible eye. And so, you know, they, you make, you've made something that's very shareable and you make content that's very shareable and very shareable by very famous people, yeah. which is a bonus. Um, so let's talk about Gillian Anderson quickly, and then I'm going to do a quiz. <laughs> okay. Um, do, do, I mean, that's, do, that was... Do, Pure, pure luck. Um, actually, the reason Gillian Anderson is wearing them in the new series of Sets Education is because Rosa Diaz, who's a brilliant costume designer, um, happens to be another creative working woman working in Hastings um, and living in Hastings. So um, as soon as I launched the collection, she saw them um, and you know, knew that they were right for the character. So um, I know, I mean, a kind of weird moment where I suddenly, you know, there I am scrabbling around to try and get new followers on Instagram. And I didn't know what had happened, but I think what she had done is, you know, posted a sort of a shoofy um, while she was on set to, as a teaser for the new series, which I think is coming out later this year. So I wait with bated breath because I love her character. I I know as a parent, I would have found her so embarrassing. (laughs) 
Um, but I think the fact that she's wafting around in a pair of Olivia Morris at home house shoes is is going to be really fun. Um, so yes, I mean, there's there's things like that that just happen, and I. I think now you just sort of, I mean, I wait for them more. I don't really, I've done a bit of sort of influencer gifting and I'm still sceptical about what it brings. Um, I'm an influencer. We'll see. Yeah. Are you? But you're going to have, you're going to have a product named after you as a thank you. For... I'm having a dressing gown named after me. Did you know that? Because no? I'm all about yeah. house coats. On the, on the footwear department, yeah. I'm a bit, I'm a bit um, splayed on the foot. Where department? You need the slider. No, you need the new slider. Yeah, yeah, so I'm cool. interested in your knotted slider. Yeah, it's so cool. For sure. It's a really simple... I guess what I was trying to do with it is, um, you know, it's time to ditch the kind of toweling made-in-China hotel slippers. And ironically, now that we'll all hopefully be able to go away a little bit more or to travel more, is, um, you know, it's kind of the idea of at home and away. So I guess it's a... Biz- you know, it was a business decision to also start thinking about product that you know, isn't just worn at home, can be worn outside mm. that you take away with you to your home from home, I suppose, would be my, my the marketing mm. spiel. You can see I'm working on my copywriting at the moment. It's good, it's good. <laughs> Infomercial. The, we'll, make you a, we'll make you a jingle. The, oh, um, yeah, I'd love that. So um, Gillian Anderson wears Olivia Morris slippers. Um but lots of other famous people wear other people's slippers and they wear them when they go out in public. And I know because I've Googled it, especially for this section of the podcast. And oh you God. need to tell me <laughs> yeah. what what kind of slippers these celebrities have been papped wearing out down the street in public. Okay. As long as I don't have to say the word Ugg again. Uh, not Ugg, it wasn't Ugg. What was it? Crocs. 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 <laughs> Slippers was Jamila Jamil, famous for wearing walking down the street. Actually, to an event. She wore them on the red carpet. Slippers, really? Yep. Oh. Was it it one of the two brands we've already mentioned? No. Oh my god. Let's cut to the. She wore furry teddy bear slippers on the red carpet. Oh, it's so funny. I love an animal slipper. Do you not remember? Was that to do with her being in, um, oh, uh, the good, not the good life. That's a a long time ago. Felicity Candle. That's that's our generation of TV shows. What's it called? That, That Netflix one she does. With the blonde lady. Never mind. Let's move on. It sounds like her character. Probably moving on. The internet will go down any minute. Justin, <laughs> Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. I'm pretty sure that was that not a, that wasn't croc. We don't count crocs as slippers. Justin Bieber. No. no. Was it a kind of slider style? Yep. Was it furry? Yes. A plush uh, slider monogram. Furry slider. Monogram by who? High ends or or more um, mass market. High end. High ends. Um, Louis Vuitton or Gucci. Yes, or... an LV plush slide in the street. Number three. <laughs> Jared Leto. 
Who has Jared Leto, just so you know, petted my dog outside my flat. Really? Yes, Is he, Jared um, Leto. Is he quite petite? Yes, and he's kind yeah. of, um, yeah, he's really androgynous. He was yeah. wearing eyeliner at 10 a.m. And um, he did make intense eye contact oh, and nice. um, asked to pet the dog. I think he was staying in the Soho Hotel and I was coming out at 7 o'clock in the morning. So he's probably exiting some kind did you of... Allow, did you allow him to pet your dog? Briefly. Yeah. And then you drag the dog and away. That's, a, that's Jared. That's enough. Okay. That's just enough. <laughs> you know what? Um, my dog should... My ex-dog, my poor dog, who's no longer with us, should have, his, should have had his own podcast because he was friends to many famous people. Oh. Most famously, he um, he tripped up Brick Brit Eklund and David Cameron. At, on two separate occasions in St. James's Park. Nearly got me shot when um, by David Cameron's close security when he um, almost bit his ankle and then tripped him up. That's hilarious. Jared, back to Jared. Um, well, Jared, really, he's one, isn't he a, he's a, he's a Gucci, house think, of Gucci. You no? think? Okay. He's strayed away. Um, don't know, tell me. Ugh, shearling slides. Yeah, see, it's having its moment. I mean, it's hopeless. It's, it's hopeless. <laughs> I may as well give up now. I think I'm just going to, yeah, <laughs> stop making one. chic slippers. <clears throat> Let's um, go a bit more at the other end. Just something a bit more trendy again. Nicki Minaj. Ne- like neon and furry, like fur- furry neon fluffy, and um, furry neon fluffy. I'm gonna give you furry neon fluffy, and you're gonna give me the rest. Furry Hello Kitty. Oh, nice. Oh. Furry jacket, kind of Japanese. Exactly. Yeah. I would have put, I would have put Jared Leto on the Hello Kitty, actually. Yeah. I mean, we used to when I was a kid. That's what we used. I mean, the ultimate Christmas present was a pair of sort of donut, donut, puffy animal slippers. And they had various, you know, characters. I think I had Garfield, I think I had Garfield slippers with sort of huge boggly eyes on the front. And you'd always put, put them on on Christmas Day and they would have been your, you know, your special, special pyjamas and slippers present from your mum and dad. You've come a long way. You I have know, come a long I way. Know. That shows you. That shows the evolution Maybe though, maybe though, the result of this um, doing this podcast is that there will have to be some Olivia Morris at home furry animal character slippers at some point. <laughs> <laughs> all of those profits, all of those profits that you've worked hard to squirrel away, will be flushed down the toilet after <laughs> this a, conversation into a pink flamingo slipper. <laughs> <laughs> it's been. Thank you for battling with the technical difficulties today oh, so that we've sorry. had many of. It wasn't your I'm fault. Sorry. I just think, you know, sometimes these things are against us. Next time we'll be meeting in person because lockdown's cancelled, apparently. Yay. Well, I'm glad, in one, glad in one way, but, yeah, thinking it's quite a speedy speedy retreat back to normal life. So, yeah, we're taking it slowly, slowly. I'm not going to be commuting up to London every day, that's for sure. Um, but, yes, cannot wait. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to see you and chat properly face-to-face. 
Thank you for overcoming your fear of this kind of stuff and sharing your story, which is epic. I love to hear it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. That's the end of this week's episode of The Real Work Podcast. If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. I don't think I, I don't think I remember to say in the intro, I don't think I remember to say to go onto iTunes and rate us. We have got a couple of ratings and reviews this week, but not many. I, I should have said it. It's hard to remember. I'm getting better at it. I know. You are. You are. I've noticed the last few episodes, you've been really good at it. And I can see in your face, I know that you find it awkward. Do you know what? I've actually, I was thinking the other day, it might be useful just to have like a little jingle to go on the end. And then you don't have to worry about doing it when we're recording. We just have something that just covers it off. That would be amazing. So I did actually uh, make you something. (gasps) Did you? I like yours. I love yours. They, who's the guy who did the piano in that? He's um, he's like a, a concert pianist or yeah, something. He's, he's called incredible. Tom Seals. Yeah, he's called Tom Seals and he is amazing. He's played <gasps> piano all over the world. Have you so you've um, made me you've made me one already? Well Play yeah, I've made one for you. Yeah, you did. I, do you want yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it like your one? Um I mean kind of. Great, let's hear. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. Do it, do it now. Like me, like me, subscribe to me. Review me, review me, review me. Rate the podcast or I will be very sad. I won't make another one unless you rate it. I will know that you have. I will notice if you have not rated it. It all seems a little bit thirsty. Is that what the young people say? A bit thirsty? Rate the podcast or I will be very sad. Review me. I I, I wouldn't say I was begging. Was I begging? Do it, do it now. Like me, like me, subscribe to me. Review me, review me. Like and subscribe. Did you take those words from me saying that to make that? Yeah, just when we were messing about the other day, I thought it was quite fun. Thanks. You sound really modern. Okay. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore, where the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core, then you know who to call. Producer Buckers. She knows just what to do. Producer Buckers. To make your podcast dreams come true She used to work in radio Where she was poorly paleo A dab hand at audio Find producer Buckers on Instagram At decibel underscore creative Or click the link in the show notes Come on everyone Producer, producer Buckers If you want to hire the best Producer Buckers Just put it to the test Producer Buckers Just press record And she does the rest
juice up our cup.